Welcome, you are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney turned alchemist, and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Listen to conversations with courageous souls who've stepped out of their comfort zone and designed a new way of life. They'll share their experiences, wisdom, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. I'm here today with Deborah Crinigan, and she and her husband, Willie, are the uh, proprietors of Rosa Serena's Restaurant, one of the premier restaurants in Isla Mujeres, with an amazing view of the Caribbean. And I'm delighted that you took the time to talk with me today and share your story. It's, I know it's amazing, and I'm really uh, thrilled to hear your story, so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Being the logical-minded attorney, I'd like to start at the beginning. And um, I know we talked a little bit before, and you've been coming here almost as long as I have, the late 90s, which is a long time. We've seen a lot of changes in the island. If you wouldn't mind sharing, like, how, what prompted this, this move to this lovely paradise that we're privileged to live in? I started uh, coming to Isla Harris in 1998 with uh, two good friends of mine from Philadelphia, Barbara Beck and Jimmy Picuri, who live over by the airport here on the island Um, and we started vacationing here all together a group of friends we used to stay at Nabalam and then uh, in 2003 they purchased a property that they renovated uh, over by the airport and then in uh, 2005 I decided to do the same thing except prices have been rising on the island so I purchased a property uh, in Colonia Meteorological uh, which is about a three-block colonia, very small one, uh, here in the middle of Isla Mujeres. Uh, it was an area that wasn't really developed yet, um, and there wasn't really uh, a lot of foreign-owned businesses in this in this area. And that's changed um, in in that short amount of time, right? Yes, it's changed dramatically. Um, Villa Labella was a uh, bed and breakfast. Ashley and Curtis were already here in the neighborhood and had started developing their bed and breakfast. And there was actually another couple from Philadelphia, the Ramondos, here. But other than that, um, there really wasn't uh, any foreigners. So I was definitely the single redheaded lawyer from Philadelphia in the neighborhood, and everybody knew that. <laughs> but it, it, everybody's super friendly, so I, I really liked having a home here. I got along very well with my neighbors, who are very hardworking people. Uh, lots of fishermen and taxi drivers in the neighborhood, and um, uh, everybody really knew each other. And multi generation, uh, multiple, you know, generations of families staying in, in the respective structures so you kind of get to know everybody sure. and all the little kids the people are a big part of uh, the neighborhoods here and I would know all the children and um, it was one of the special things about arriving here everybody wants a big hug and kiss when you come in on the weekend and um, definitely something amazing to share with my friends also so when I purchased the structure it was a renovation project I was uh, too nervous to build from scratch because as a trial attorney I had a national practice 
Um, so I may be called to trial anywhere in the United mm. States and there wouldn't have been anybody here to watch the project since I didn't have a partner or a husband um, at that time. At so my one-year renovation project took about four years, just, just <laughs> residential. I strictly used it as a residential structure. Uh, I didn't rent it out or use it as an investment property. I just used it as a, a vacation, basically as a weekend house because Philadelphia has an international airport and so does Cancun. There were multiple flights a day. It was super easy to get here. Um, I, as a woman, I had all of my things here, so I could literally just fly in my suit and with a passport. Nice. And then fly out to the next place I had to go to court or where I had to be on Monday. So that's kind of how, how I got started, started here. Okay. And so when you started, so you did not have the vision for the restaurant at that point? I never had a vision for a restaurant. <laughs> I um I was a partner in a large law firm, White & Williams, in Philadelphia, and had been a lawyer my entire career and I had been a partner for uh, more than 12 or 13 years at the time I retired. So I didn't really have a, a vision um, for a restaurant. I continued to work on the property and uh, continued to use it as a weekend house and a vacation home well into 2017. And it was around 2016 or 2017 that I um, I was about 48 years old, and uh, my father had died very young at 53, so I had started to think about whether I was truly happy, and if I only had five years left, uh, was I really living my best life? So those questions started to nag at me a little bit, and uh, from a superficial materialistic perspective, my uh, life was great in Philadelphia. I, you know... Uh, enjoyed my practice. I had a historic home there. I traveled extensively for work, uh, but I, I really felt like something was missing. Uh, fast forward a little bit. I met my uh, now husband, Willie Chacon. Um, Willie is Mexican. He is from Acapulco originally, uh, which is in Guerrero State. He also had a very long history here on the island. He had lived here between 1993 and 2005, but we never met during that period of time. They lived in the United States, in Michigan, from 2005 to 2015. And then he moved back to Isla Mujeres in 2015, and that's when we met. Okay. So while I didn't have a vision for a restaurant, uh, when Willie and I decided to get married, um, I decided that I would retire after 25 years from the practice of law and start a different life. So Willie had suggested he had worked as a chef and as a musician and had bands uh, for all of his career. So he had suggested that maybe a restaurant was the answer um, since he had a lot of experience. Myself, I had no experience. I had not even waitress in a restaurant in my entire life. I was a lifeguard when I was a kid, so I had no experience in the restaurant industry. And my husband, while he had experience as a chef, he did not have any experience in running a business other than running a band. So, right. Um, so it was definitely a, uh, we learned a lot in the last couple of years along the way. So. Did you find it daunting or did you like ignorance yes. is bliss? You no. didn't know what was coming. So um. I, I found it, I found it very daunting, but, uh, one of the things of being smart, I always say is knowing what you don't know about. 
So I immediately sought counsel from, there were other successful foreign-owned businesses here, a variety of types, people who had all been in business successfully more than 15 years. So for a long time, they had probably seen all of the problems come and go. Um, so I, uh, I was able to talk to the folks from Texas who own Soggy Peso, yes. the owner of Jack's Bar Grill, which is going to be celebrating their 20th anniversary here on the island, the owners of Villa La Bella. Um, I was very good friends also with uh, Waymar and Karina Maldonado, who own Breeze's, okay. who had been the own, their Mexican owners of Breeze's for about 10 years. Um, so I was able to collectively talk to people and ask them questions about how they got things done. Did they have any tips on getting things accomplished? How did they organize things? And the one thing I found was no one did anything exactly the same way. Right. So we were, Willie and I knew we were going to have to find our own path, but respecting all the, the success of all those other folks and their successes and the things they talked about as failures where they the missteps where they right? misstepped yeah. and they changed things that they could save us from having the same problems um, we really consider ourselves very lucky to have help from those well four, and it's so businesses. smart um, yeah. I'm glad you shared that because that's something that we see frequently with first-time expats right you don't know what you don't know and uh, one of the gals I work with just said that, you know, I came here with all these questions. She spent a week and was like, I have more questions now, but at least I know what questions to ask. Where when she arrived, she didn't even know that these were questions that she should be asking. So I would think it would be very naive to go into a brand new, any type of brand new business in Mexico and not uh, think you we're going to need to ask questions and get help. Right. Right. Besides right. having an accountant and a lawyer and um, uh, all the other people you need to help you, um, it's just very helpful. And you'll find, I think you'll find the people, um, these were all friends of mine for a very long time, but people are willing to help you. Like Absolutely. people come to us now with questions about all kinds of things and we, try to lead them in the right directions. In other words, you need a lawyer to do this. Here's a recommendation. Or you need an accountant. Or or just because you came here on vacation one time doesn't mean you're will, you're ready to relocate to an island. Perhaps you'd want to rent a place here for right. a while and see it's not for everybody. So I, I had decided to relocate without ever living here for an extended period of time. But don't forget, I had been a property owner here and had... Um, spent time here and also had plenty of the problems that property owners have over, sure. over a 15-year period. So, yeah. Um, but even with that experience, it was still brand new to, start, to start a business. Mm -hmm. um, well, and to live here full-time, right? Do you still have a place back in the no, U.S.? I, oh, no, after okay. we opened uh, the restaurant, eventually I sold my okay. uh, house. It uh, was a lot of space for, for me to hold on to. If it had just been a condo, maybe I wouldn't have sold it, but it was a, an, a historic house. So I sold Lots that. of maintenance on that. Lots of maintenance. But yeah. I still have lots of friends from living in Philadelphia for 29 years, so I'm sure pretty much always have a place to stay when I go back. 
Nice. Yeah, because a, a lot of people do maintain the two, and it does get mm-hmm. to be a lot. Um, if you do it in a full-size manner. Yes. Would I like to have a small condominium in Philadelphia? Maybe I'll contemplate doing that in the future. Sure. But um, I didn't need a historic house with that amount of maintenance of four bedrooms, and it was just way too much to maintain both things. And really, I only go to Philadelphia maybe four or five times a year for a week at a time, not Right. Not there for So I'm curious, did you sell it furnished or what did, one of the things that comes up frequently is the stuff, right? Well, my historic, (laughs) right. Because I had owned this property for a long time, this property was fully furnished. I had hired a, uh, found that the best thing for me to do, um, was I had hired a carpenter in Tamosan, which is the town of carpenters outside of Valladolid. Uh, I had taken a friend of mine who spoke Spanish with me who helped me negotiate initially because at that time I didn't have I have some Spanish now but at that time I didn't have any mm-hmm. and um, that carpenter did the first contract and did very well so then I gave him more and more so he basically built all the furniture for my residence um, and all the doors and all the closets and everything over maybe a 15 month period we, interestingly enough, we went back when we were uh, building the restaurant. I couldn't remember the gentleman's name because it was 15 years ago, but I remembered he was uh, Tres Hermanos Carpinterias, three brothers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we were having trouble uh, getting the type of chairs we wanted for tables that had bigger bottoms and curved backs so they'd be comfortable. So we went back to the town of Temosan and found three brothers... They were still in business and uh, hired the same fellow. Oh, fabulous! Furniture for the for the restaurant. Yes, so he came back to work for us again and did all the work for the restaurant. Nice. He has a lot of people who work for him now. He's older, but sure, um, we use the the same guy. That's nice. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that that happens a lot here. It's not like in the states where things come and go a lot it seems like there's the you you see that and especially the generational uh continuing yes even though i couldn't the, find his phone number i went right back to the small town and sure enough there, there was, he was. Big sign and I said <laughs> to Willie, there he is there he is and he recognized me right away oh fun yeah so um, we were able to do business with him also when we were building the restaurant Awesome. Well, the restaurant's amazing. I mean, you have all this wonderful artwork. Can you talk to me about the, uh, the theme. How did you come up with Rosa Serena? And then you've got like all this great uh, mermaid artwork. It, it's kind of uh, the house itself. When I had purchased the property and was renovating it, um, I was single. So I painted the entire house pink and I called it Casa de las Serenas, House of the Mermaids. Okay. And so the house itself has always been the House of the Mermaids. So, and it's always been pink. I've kept the house pink. We're Mexican rosa. Right. As they say. And um, when we were trying to decide uh, what we were going to call the restaurant as we were coming up with the theme, we were actually at a baseball game here on the island with our friends Ashley and Curtis, who own the bed and breakfast up the street, Villa La Bella, and we said, oh, we're trying to think of a name for the restaurant. And they said, you already have a name. 
it's Rosa Serenas, which was my fake name on social media and had been my fake name on social media for more than a decade. And Curtis said, you already have a brand. You already have a following. Oh, brilliant. Rosa Serenas (laughs) originated from my pink golf cart, whose name was Rosa. I named her Rosa. And the house being Casa de las Serenas. So around 2007, when social media started to become more mainstream i wanted to be on social media but as a national lawyer i i needed to be in yeah. hiding so <laughs> right i you know that people couldn't necessarily find your alias your sure perfect life. <laughs> so um i took rosette and serenus which kind of means loosely red mermaid or pink mermaid and that became my my fake name um so over the course of more than 10 years here on the island there were people who didn't know me as well or didn't know me personally that would think my name was Rosa. So people would wave and say, hi, Rosa, hola, Rosa. And I would wave back and just let it go and say, hi, how are you? And, and a lot of people said, oh, we just thought your name was Rosa because you have red hair. Right. And uh, so Curtis was right, and we named the the restaurant the Rosa Serenas because it already had that presence in media. And we continued the mermaid theme. So there was already a mermaid theme in the residence. Um, so basically, all of the art in the restaurant is either um, um, done by Mexican artists or is mermaid related. So we have a mix. We have a lot of Diego Rivera and Simone Silvia, um, uh, Frida Kahlo, and then we have some uh, his, a lot of historic, um, pretty famous uh, French artists, English artists, uh, and a lot of uh, sirens. Yes, they call them. yes, a lot of siren-related art, and then. Um, also, de- in terms of decoration, a lot of the women of the island, after we opened the restaurant, this is very nice and very welcoming, lots of women who had homes here started coming in with mermaids, like all, you know, mermaids from TJ Maxx or mermaids from wherever they happened to see them. So people would just, the women would just bring mermaids in. So we used a lot of those mermaids to decorate the tables in the bathroom areas and um, it was just really fun in a nice way. We kind of really felt the support from the community with that. Nice. What a great story. I had no idea that that was the history so of that's, it. that's how we got to Rosa Serena. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. fun. And then um, you were, it was you have live music regularly here with um, some amazing um, performers. Exactly. And so my husband, the menu... Uh, He's a self-taught musician, um, so he had had multiple bands when he used to be here on the island and had also um, uh, worked as a cook when he lived in Acapulco, and then when he was in a Michigan, he worked as a chef under Matt Bomber, um, who has multiple restaurants in the uh, in the Holland Sagatok area. And uh, so he brought those skills to the table. So the first six months we were open, um, he was pretty much only in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, we had agreed that we wanted music every night, so I was in charge of developing the music program. Since he's a musician, he's better off not handling uh, that aspect of it. 
Interesting. And um, we started a music program. And then after about six months, the we have are very lucky to have two senior fellas in the kitchen um, that have more than 30 years experience each. Awesome. So they had mastered all his recipes and were very, very experienced guys. So after about six months, Willie came to me and said, hey, I miss, I miss playing music. Can I get in on the, can I get into <laughs> the music please. program? Yeah, what about me? So oh, um, uh, the first artist we started here with was uh, Rhett McGahey, who doesn't sing anywhere else. She's the co-owner of Isla Brewing Company and the principal of her daughter's bilingual school. So uh, she started us off on the very first night she was open and uh, she's still here. So most of our musicians that we've had, um, we've had long term since the restaurant has been open. Nice. So. And we, we have a variety of music, a Latin jazz, trova, cubana, sun, traditional Mexican, um, a uh, little Brett as a vocalist has a little blues and uh, funk that she adds in, in, in her performance. Um, but the guitar playing and the the uh, the music programs is definitely special. We have uh, three three people who perform here are members of La Trova Isleña. Uh, which was recognized by the Congress in April of 2016, the Congress of our state um, here on the island to basically recognize the cultural heritage of the music and the generations of musicians we have here on the island. So uh, Tosito Martinez, Jorge Santoyo, and my husband, Willie Chacon, were all inducted um, into La Trova. Wow. Um, so they definitely... It's something special to see them perform, and especially when they decide to perform together. So sometimes one of them is playing, and then the other one comes along and decides to join in. And um, <laughs> so there have been a lot of really special nights here, um, where the guys and the the folks who you know after dinner is over are here uh, really like to participate. Sometimes we pass out percussion instruments, and the people play along. And but Fun. music is definitely a big part big of part of what you do here. Yeah. Vibe. If somebody uh, wasn't interested in music or wanted a, a quieter experience, we have a second floor to the restaurant, which is also under air conditioning, um, where somebody could have an intimate, private dinner if they wish. Sure, sure. Do you do uh, group events too? We do uh, lots of group events. We okay. do rehearsal dinners. We do weddings. We've done lots of birthday parties. Um, because we're a small kind of boutique restaurant, um, if the party's for 30 or more people, usually they just take the, uh, take the whole restaurant. In gotcha. other words, we won't take additional clients. And sure. especially since the pandemic, people are more concerned about who they're around. So sure. normally they'll rent the entire, um, the entire place and then we'll work with um, them depending on, you know, what type of event they want. Is it romantic? Is it the fun? Is yeah. it, does it have a theme? That kind of thing. So. Sure. We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castillito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. 
with an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit CastelitoCaribe.com www.castellitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. Is it time to go? Are you starved for adventure and new experiences? Do you feel like you're slowly dying inside, just a little, day by day? Afraid of having to work forever, with never enough money to retire, or live the life you have always imagined. Life doesn't have to be that way. Instead, imagine waking up in paradise every day saying, pinch me, is this real? Join me in this free live workshop. You'll walk away with your own custom roadmap to a dream life in paradise without breaking the bank. Register for our next free workshop at paradiseroadmap.com. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. I'm here with Deborah Crinigan. Tell me a little bit more about the pandemic. I'm sure that probably blindsided you just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> it, it did. Um, uh, my husband is kind of conservative fiscally, so we had uh, only been in business about two years and two months. We had uh, been saving money, thank goodness, because he is conservative. And notice I said, don't mention myself in that. He's more fiscally conservative than I am. And uh, so the pandemic obviously caught us by surprise. We had only been in business two years and two months. So for a, a restaurant, that is very, very new. Early in the cycle. Very early in the cycle of the restaurant. Um, I believe we were the first restaurant to close here because we had had an incident or two that were kind of disconcerting with uh, people mentioning COVID and the, the wait staff and um, and literally only five days later the the municipality closed the entire island so uh, I guess we kind of knew it was coming so uh, when that occurred we um, came up with the idea with two of our friends um, Tommy and Allison Morandi he is a manager over at Sagi Peso and to start a charity because we knew that eventually people uh, would not have enough money to eat here. That tourism here on the island is 99% of our economy. Um, To give just an example of that, as a restaurant, you'd have to think that the taxi driver I call to drive my people, the juice person who squeezes my juice, the laundry people who do our linens, the fishermen who bring us fresh fish in the morning, the lobstermen who bring us fresh lobster, um, the people across the street that sell us ice. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, and that's how interrelated all the businesses are here. So um, we knew eventually uh, food or food scarcity would be an issue on the island. We could foresee that. And I had also been around um, during the swine flu uh, pandemic when 
uh, President Obama had issued, I believe it only lasted for about six weeks, but an order that uh, you were not supposed to fly to Mexico. Mm. And even that short, uh, the short period of time really dramatically affected tourism here. I think it was lifted in May of that year when that had occurred, um, but it caused the cancellations of lots of weddings and lots of events that summer, and people had a difficult time. So with something so much worse as this pandemic was, you could kind of foresee that the handwriting was on the wall. So um, we got together with Tommy and Allison, and um, we decided we needed somebody who was very good with the accounting and who you know, was good at working with charities. Um, so we talked to our friends Rob and Julie Goth, and Rob is the CFO for the Little Yellow Schoolhouse, um, and uh, a few other charities, actually. So he's a great CFO and really kind of understands the ins and outs of the financial aspect. So they were on board. So the three couples got together, and um, uh, based on our people's generosity and our reputations, we were able to raise a lot of money very quickly. And then, then the challenge became uh, how to use the funds the best as things started to get worse, March into April here. And then I'd say May was by far the worst month here on the island um, for food scarcity. So uh, as a restaurant owner and somebody who's been around, it was a very difficult time because people would come here directly to ask me for help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. Um, but the charity did. We did a, we did a Chedrawi card. So people, we were under dry law. People could take the cards. They were 500 pesos a piece and go buy food for their family. We did the pantry bags. And we did that in coordination uh, with all the other charities on the island. Pantry bags. The idea is that it would be enough uh, food in there for a family of four to cook for a week uh -huh. and then the final thing was because we owned a restaurant we weren't sure how it would work out but we wanted to try to do a food kitchen because that would uh, reach the most people at the most effective price point but sure. uh, we weren't allowed to have people on the street here on the island mm. so uh, we had to think of a way for distribution and other things uh, that didn't run afoul of the local ordinances at the time. So we couldn't have people lining up in sure. words for food. So what we did was we talked to lots of friends and lots of other small business owners here on the island that were willing to act as distribution teams for food. So, and they all, their businesses were in different neighborhoods. For example, Isla Driver Robbie and Isla Lashes was in La Gloria. There was... Um, Another couple that handled Guadalupana. There was Isla Brewing Company that's, I don't even know which colonia. There's so many colonias here on the island that's in another area. The Island Time Fish uh, Schoolhouse was a, uh, Little Yellow Schoolhouse was a, literally a distribution team. Mm -hmm. The uh, Sagi Peso was a distribution team. Um, Villa La Bella assisted uh, with distribution of pantries and so you just had all these different small businesses so what we did was they would show up at the door twice a week with crates they would give us the crates because we had did not have all the staff here um because you weren't supposed to at the time right um 
and we would fill the crates with all the food and then the crates would go out and that distribution team would go out to their own neighborhood where they would really know because there's a lot of um, property behind property in sure. neighborhoods here that you can't really see from the street. So who would know their own neighborhoods better than the small businesses that operate in those neighborhoods? Right. So we did that for the whole month. Um, towards the end of the month, we could only produce about 500 units because we're a very small uh, restaurant. So uh, we kind of put out the word for help and uh, Penny Deming, who owned the joint, uh, was not on the island at the time, but her she was paying her staff and her staff was here. So she basically turned her manager over to me and we helped them. I gave them instructions on what to do and how to do it. I gave them the cash to do it. So their kitchen started producing another 250 units. So they, on the day of distribution, they would bring their food here to join with the food we were producing, and then it would go out to the team. So that really enabled us to reach like an additional 250 families where we wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, we had help, I believe uh, Maria Denuccio helped once uh, before she left the island, and we had help from Asia Carib um, mm -hmm. towards the very end there because the need was greater than the supply. So by the yeah. end, we were doing about a thousand units wow. um, each time we did it. And then um, in June, the island reopened and things started to get better slowly. Um, so we closed the food kitchen aspect of it, but continued our work with the um, uh, the food cards and also with the pantries um, but as people went back to work here there was definitely less need even if they were only grabbing a couple days of work which sure. is what happened in the beginning and there wasn't a lot of tips at least people were working again yeah so uh, we found that things really wound down by October mm -hmm. and uh, we had only a small balance left um, which we gave to the charity keys for life so they could con continue their work and uh, that was the, we pretty much wrapped things up so it was a limited purpose charity mm -hmm. um, one of the things that came out of that though was the realization that I probably in my prior life as a lawyer would not have actually given a lot of thought to the fact that there were people that were so impacted by the pandemic that they couldn't eat so I definitely uh, saw things with different eyes living here on the island than I would have if I had still been living in Philadelphia not that Philadelphia wouldn't have under had their own food scarcity problems but uh, I myself was definitely changed and was a different person from living here full-time right back there you probably just wouldn't have had the exposure yeah um, and my, my husband he dedicated his work and all his effort um, which was extensive because it was very difficult to shop and do other things during the shutdown um, to his mom who he's one of nine he said his mother always managed to keep food on the table and feed all of her kids all of the kids friends and anyone in his neighborhood who was in need and she did it day after day after day so he dedicated his work to his mom and all the Mexican moms out there who somehow always know how to do a lot with a little right <laughs> yeah. so sure. um, so we really feel that the island kind of picked back up by october 2020 and although there have been different ups and downs and certainly there were problems in january february of 2021 after the united states uh, decided that you would need testing to get back into the united states 
um, we've definitely overall seen a rebound on the island and uh, May, June, and July of 2021, there was definitely pent up demand. Oh yeah, we experienced that as well. A lot, a lot more well. business um, than the island had experienced in May, June, and July of 2019. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have a low season yeah, this so summer. <laughs> things are back on track. So we're actually in the beginning of our fourth year of the restaurant now. Um, but sometimes we just feel like it's our third year because we feel like we missed our, our, <coughs> lost third, year. our third year. We were actually f- totally closed about five to six months of the 2020. So Because we Which, tried to reopen in the summer, but there wasn't enough people. So right. we were open six weeks with part of the staff, and then we closed again. And then we tried to reopen again in October. And then we kind of stuck it out and stayed open. Yeah, our last guest checked out in like March 20th, and we didn't have anybody until October, the yes. first week of October I in our that. villa. Yeah, <laughs> it was a solid six months with nothing. Uh, there were reservations that were, we'll wait and see. And then, of course, it became evident that no, just right. And, and not knowing happen. a lot of people that are involved in rental management here, I mean, we knew that. The, there were no people renting the houses, which is another clear signal that we're not going to have people in the restaurant. So Yeah, if the people aren't staying here, they're right. not going to be going out to dinner. Exactly. Well, um, you shared with me in the beginning, but you did make the commitment um, and had the resources to continue paying your staff even when you were closed. We did because we had saved our money. <laughs> so unfortunately, um, I mean, Fortunately for them, when when they started to go back to work, one of the interesting things in just talking with all the other small business owners was that um, when the people went back to work and tourists started to come back, even though if it was small amounts of tourists, they were doing okay. Um, But that does not mean the owners of the businesses were okay. That means the businesses were barely in the red or just breaking even. So the owners, for the owners to recover, it's taken a much longer time than it does for the people because they live kind of day to day, but the owners weren't making any money for a long extended period of time, which, you know, we like to support all the other charities on the island, but, um, you know, it, it, the owners are still not recovered. It'll be a long time, but it was only because of our savings that we were able to Um, continue to pay our people to distribute that to give them additional work when we had additional work for them to bring some of them back full-time to maintain their benefits during the period of time was actually more important in case people got sick and that is unusual right a lot of businesses were not able to do that during the some were but some were not able to do that and some uh it's a philosophy thing we're a hybrid business we're half american half mexican owned right um but there were other businesses that had been around the island for a very long time that didn't pay their people at all i mean the people uh, not it was mandated under federal law that you were supposed to pay a minimum of one month Severance. Okay. So the federal government put that burden on okay. small business owners, which is kind of crazy because yeah. not everybody could afford that, but that was what federal uh, law said. But there were businesses that were well established for a long time uh, that did not pay their people. And everybody knows who they are. Sure. And well, and on a small island like this, Everybody word knows. gets around yeah right? you don't you don't end. how did your staff react were they surprised that you were 
willing to do that or um we didn't really discuss that with them we just you didn't call them i mean it was kind of a top-down decision we just right this is what we have for you you know but were they were they surprised they knew that they were uh they were lucky yeah because they everybody knew other people that had no we're not going to we're not getting any money at all i mean they basically wages here are lower the same way uh in the restaurant industry, the the wage itself is low. The tips are high, mm-hmm. so that's no different between American and sure. Mexican culture. Um, but if at least you're getting paid every day, at least that's money Something. to eat and money, you know, towards um, towards some bills. Sure, you know, or trying to get by. So, do you think has that impacted the relationship with your employees? Do you do you sense? Um, no, a, a sense lot of, of them are very young, so they're very okay. Uh, I mean, I think the older, wiser ones understand that they have a level a level of stability working mm-hmm. with Rosa Serena's uh, that they would not necessarily have somewhere else. But young people are young people. So you get people in their twenties, and they're just oh yeah, okay, cool, right? right? <laughs> They've forgotten about the pandemic already, right? And, you know, <laughs> yeah, so excellent. Well, it sounds like things are have really um, turned around and for I the know, islands, summer the and island the overall, island. yes, we definitely see a turnaround. Everybody's trying to really look forward to a a great new season here we kind of all consider the end of the season september and the beginning of the new season to be october so right we're actually right now at the close of the season where a lot of businesses are closed for vacation maintenance renovations now's the time to do it during mm-hmm. hurricane season while uh, tourism is at a low point and then when we reopen, it's the start of the new season, and everybody works very hard until the high season is over. Right, you know. right. Um, so um, before we, we wrap up here, I just uh, want to got to ask you, so this life that you have created is obviously very different from what you had in, mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. How... How do you feel about that transition? I mean, is... People do ask, um, because I was a lawyer with a national practice, if, uh, you know, do I miss it? Do I miss being a lawyer? Um, having uh, contemplated whether I was really happy and that being a factor in uh, having lost my dad early in life, um, And then having the pandemic on top of it, I think the pandemic caused a lot of people to recognize that life is finite and it's not a promise. Nobody gets a promise how long I'm going to be here. I already recognize that from having lost my dad when he was only 53. I mean, I don't have any regrets at all. There's been uh, life lessons. I'm definitely more patient woman than I was before because here Amen. Uh, you're not going to get things done and you can't expect them to be done the same way they are in the United States. Um, with that said, you still have some days you're very frustrated and like, oh, I'm tired of the way things are done here, but you're not going to change everything here. So um, some people have the ability to adapt I'm definitely one of them. I've been able to adapt and learn a new business and, and how to apply my marketing and accounting and other other types of skills, I organizational skills I have to organizing a new business and handling the business side of, of everything. Um, 
would I go back to being a lawyer? No. No. Not, I don't miss it really like one minute of, of one second of one day. I, I, uh, it was a, a part of my life. And when I closed that chapter, I closed it. Yeah. I mean, once a lawyer, always a lawyer. But right. um, one of the conversational things in the restaurant, obviously, I meet lots of people from all over. And a lot of them say like, oh, how did you land here? Or where did you come from? And I say, oh, you know, I'm a recovering lawyer. And I used to have a national practice. And I always say, now I have a cute artsy husband and two rescue puppies. And I make coconut cheesecake for a living. <laughs> which people usually find amusing. And sometimes even I find it amusing that that's how my life turned out. But I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. I mean, one of the things you learn is money's not everything. Right. So you feel a sense of joy here. Absolutely. And a big sense of community. Not that I wasn't a part of the Philadelphia community. I loved Philadelphia. But here it's it's a small island with 20,000 plus residents and... Um, you just really get to know people a lot better, which is why the island is able to sustain itself in a different way um, during times of crisis, whether that be hurricanes or fires or pandemics, um, than other larger areas of, of Mexico where they may have communities, but it's not that real sense of togetherness that you have here. And the island is also very blessed because there's a lot of foreigners who are super fond of Isla Mujeres and the people of Isla Mujeres. So and generous. The, the island benefits <laughs> from their generosity, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful. Well, um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share before we wrap up? Not really. Just if you're thinking about making a change, <laughs> um, sometimes you have to not be afraid and jump right in. It's just like anything else. You make a plan, you implement a plan, even if it takes a while. The implementation of me moving from Philadelphia to here full-time um, took over a year. And then it was another year after that before I sold my property there. So um, it took quite a while. And if you are going to be involved in a new business that is Mexican-related as opposed to being an international or an online business, um, you know, you have to go through those processes of making a company. Uh, for us, we had to buy our liquor license. Sure. I wanted to be positive about my use and occupancy because this had been a residential property initially. Um, that, in fact, part of it could become a restaurant. And so those things all took long periods of time. And similarly, uh, because it took a while to uh, properly uh, leave my law practice behind and to separate from that because I had a lot of cases that had gone on for a long time. So yeah, um, that takes months and months and months. The more and complications, months, the longer months it's going to take. Months and months and months to, to try to wrap those thousands properly for those clients. So um, yeah, that's it. You have to start somewhere. So if you have the idea, you know, start. And if the plan doesn't seem like it's going to work or you can't figure out how to implement the plan, then make a plan B. Start with right. another plan. So it's just, <laughs> just like getting anything else accomplished. Great. Great words of wisdom. <laughs> I'm glad you shared that. Awesome. Well, um, I will definitely put in the uh, show notes a link to your Facebook page or if you have a website or whatever so folks can get in touch with you and, and come and experience this amazing restaurant you've created. All right. Thanks so much, Don. 
This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit paradiseroadmap.com and register for our upcoming free live workshop, How to Retire Overseas on a Shoestring Budget. We'd also love for you to become part of our Live and Earn in Paradise Facebook group. Thanks for listening.